Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. G'day. Welcome to the Farm Advice Podcast, where we talk everything agribusiness. This is the Harvest Series brought to you by the leaders and innovators of Australian agriculture. We've had growers, lawyers, accountants, contractors, even CEOs of Australian AgTech. And now on today's episode, Ozveg, National Public Affairs Manager and National Farmers Federation Horticultural Council Executive Officer. Hopefully, I don't have to say that again on the episode. But it's great to have Tyson Cattle on today's show. Make sure you tell the crew and your boss to listen in to improve your yield, simplify your operation, or even save you time out there picking or driving the tractor, chasing down the header this harvest. Let's get into today's episode. Tyson Cattle, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, mate. Great to get another sector of the industry on and especially for this harvest series we're working pretty hard to shine the light on harvest and how big of a time it is i've called it the grand final for farmers out there and especially during this pandemic these times looking for labor has been pretty hard on the farmers how's everything going your end yeah look it's um unfortunately it's sort of uh it's kind of a, a bit of a storm that we knew was coming towards us for some time, I guess, with the restrictions and given that COVID um, had just kind of kept on going, didn't it? Like it's uh, it's up to 18, 24 months now. And unfortunately, international borders um, being shut off, we knew that there was more workers exiting the country than coming in. So um, look, it is right now, it is tight everywhere. Um, we know that, particularly in our, in our vegetable space, you know, as we work our way down the harvest trail, and New South Wales guys particularly are really starting to feel it now as they come into their, their season. 
um, and our Victorian guys are, are really starting to feel it at the moment as well. Um, to be brutally honest, we think it's only going to get tighter because um, even though borders are open, um, you know, particularly in New South Wales at the moment, and it's, it's starting to ease. The reality is in terms of that low-skilled work, you know, that we've predominantly relied on backpackers to do, um, backpackers aren't necessarily going to come in, in in waves or in droves in the short term, I suppose. So, um, you know, there's going to be some immediate challenges ahead. Um, we're pretty lucky in terms of the broader hoard industry that we've been able to have the, the seasonal worker program, to be honest, um, and Pacific Labor Scheme. So we managed to get that up and running um, around this time last year or July last year. And, um, you know, we're, we've just ticked over about 12,000 workers during the pandemic coming in. Um, you know, obviously we're still short on where we needed to be, but if we didn't have those workers during the pandemic, we'd be probably even in a, in a harder position, to be honest. But, um, yeah, there's, a, there's still a lot of work to do. Absolutely. That 12,000 would make a huge difference out in the paddock getting the food onto consumers' tables. But before we get into it, just a little bit of a taste of your background and where you came from. Yeah, mate. Um, yeah, so I grew up in a tiny little town called Lake King over in uh, in rural WA, so down towards uh, Esperance, um, sort of a sheep and cropping family. Is that near uh, Lake Grace? Yeah, mate, keep going. So keep yeah. going. So, um, yeah, now the, we say close to Lake Grace, but another 120 k's down the road. Um, so close. where the farm was, was right on the rub-proof fence, um, if you know it. So past us was was sort of 200 k's of bush. But um, no, I loved it, loved it out there. Um, family's sold now and family's retired. But um, my brother and I are still involved in agriculture. Um, I moved into rural journalism. So um, was working at Farm Weekly there for about four years and then uh, transferred across to the Stock and Land um, as that sort of career progressed and was editor there at Stock and Land for about four years and then looked for, for a bit of a change. Um, was always interested in agri-politics and, um, yeah, managed to, to get a crack at Ausveg and um, looking after their public affairs nationally as well as... Um, work for the National Farmers Federation Horticulture Council as their um, executive officer, which is um, developing. So uh, trying to give horticulture a bit of a stronger voice through Canberra, which is good. Great stuff. And what a change that would be coming from WA, thrown into the deep end of Australia's vegetable industry. How is it getting getting to know the industry coming from an outsider sort of thing? Yeah, mate, it's a good question. Like, um, you know, I, I did come in fairly blind. I... Uh, to be honest, I didn't know much about horticulture generally. I, um, you know, probably from what you read in the papers and those sort of things, it probably wasn't great. But, you know, like it's, it is largely known horticulture in general that it's, you know, pick a fruit off a tree and throwing it in a box. However, once you go out to onto farms, it is much more than that. They're really developed businesses. They're really established, um, you know, some of the, some of the mid-sized growers or tier two growers even are employing anywhere from 30 to a hundred people, you know, like it's, um, they're big, big businesses. They do. I think one of the core differences that I've noticed is um, they do a lot of their, um, there's a lot of their supply chain is pre-farm gate, whereas a yeah. lot of it in the sheep industry and those sort of things, you are sending it post-farm gate into the processes and those sort of things. Um, whereas in horticulture and vegetables, you're doing the processing and the packaging and all those sort of stuff 
within your own farm gate, you're controlling that, um, which comes with a, a whole different line of responsibilities, right? Like, yeah, mm. um, you know, you're looking for a, a quality assurance managers, cold storage managers, all those sort of things that, you know, broadacre farmers don't really worry about. So um, it's been really interesting. Um, we've still got a lot of work to do as an industry, I suppose, in things like market price transparency and, and how we actually trade our product and those sort of things. But um, yeah, there is, is some unique challenges in the sector, but um, it's very different. Absolutely, a bit of an eye-opener. Something I'm trying to do is cross-sector learning, something that you can learn from a different sector. If you raise sheep, look at the grass industry, the dairies, or even the horticulture to see what their water programs are or even how they grow their source, their vegetables up. For 21 and the harvest season, let's kick it off and talk about what's production looking like. There was a few stories going about. A few farmers couldn't get their crops off. Are we going to have all the fruit and veg on our tables for Christmas time? It's a good question. Like it, it is a really hard one. One of the things, you know, when I was talking about market price transparency just before, it's really a, um, it's an interesting model in terms of the supply and demand dynamics, particularly in vegetables. So when you're talking about vegetables, you're talking about products or produce that can be grown within a 12 to 16 week growing window, right? Yeah. You know, all of a sudden you've got a grain harvest where it's really predictable where you, you know, you've got your seeding time at around April time, April or May, and then you've got to harvest every year. Whereas, you know, the, the ability for our guys is that they can actually have, um, you know, four plantings a year. Um, and and the, so the ability for the market to move supply and demand wise is, is can change pretty drastically in a short period of time, right? So, um, I mean, at the moment, you know, what we probably thought was was going to be a, a severe undersupply last year, um, due, largely due to the, the labour labor shortages, actually created a, a bit of an oversupply by the time we got into Christmas because of those fluctuations in the market where we actually had a lot of Victorian vegetable producers actually plant more, thinking that they could capitalise on the shortfall that was happening in Queensland. So they heard all the labour shortages and they thought, well, actually might push the price up, but all they ended up doing was actually flooding the market by the time it got to Christmas. So we're a little bit um, cautious in getting the crystal ball out, I suppose, at the moment um, because labour shortages are, are still there. But, look, we're expecting supply to be tight um, yep. across, across the board, largely on the basis of labour and also that um, a lot of growers are are reassessing their risk appetite, I suppose, in terms of taking on that risk because there was a, a couple of challenges last year, whether it was labour or or price um, around Christmas last year. So when supply is pretty tight, do you, do you hold the produce domestically and not as much goes internationally? Or how does that work for farmers? But it's interesting. It's kind of when we're talking about com comparing it to other industries, like I, I kind of... The closest thing you can compare it to is like the dairy industry. So yeah. you've got, you know, when, when you make milk the cow, right, there's only a certain time period in terms of that it's fresh, right? You've got to get it off farm in a certain window. It's really the same in terms of vegetable and, and general horticulture products, particularly, you know, if you think about lettuce or something like that, you know, it's, it's got a shelf life. So you've got to get it off farm. So the ability to actually, um, you know, a lot of our growers will either have probably three ways in which they sell their product. One is a supply chain 
contract with the Coles, Woolies, Aldi, those sort of things. Another is the wholesale market, and then another one might be their export. So um, a lot of our, particularly our established guys, will have supply chain contracts with um, with their Coles and Woolies. So that's probably usually what they'll they'll try and fill first, yep. um, and they'll have a, a set price. And then it's kind of whatever they've got else. Um, that's when they'll make a decision whether it goes overseas or whether it goes um, goes onto the wholesale market. But obviously, given the the shipping issues and all those sort of things as well um, that are that are playing out globally because of COVID, um, certainly there's probably more likelihood that stock is going through the wholesale market because it's so hard to to ship things off overseas as well with trade. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Hope you're enjoying this episode so far. This episode is brought to you by Advert Your Eyes Digital. They're your marketing department when you don't have one or your added expertise to drive real growth in your agribusiness. Contact the team that live and breathe agriculture at advertyoureyes.com. Back to the podcast. So for farmers and getting that produce off the ground, and into consumers, into the pantries, onto the table. How are farmers dealing with the lack of labour currently? Yeah, it's a it's a good one. So, um, it's I mean, right now they're probably dealing with it because they've been used to it yep. for the last 12, 14 months. So they've been able to put in processes in place to to get them through. Um, you know, a lot of the feedback that we've had is where you might have a mum and dad grower that normally employs 10 people during their, their peak harvest period. Last year, they probably um, they probably managed to get through harvest with seven people. They just made it work. Um, and then you've got sort of probably this year, you know, our ability to bring in seasonal workers. We talk about those 12,000 again, um, just be, just was able to be able to get, get workers into the system I suppose, like if, if you think of it that way. So we normally have about 30,000 backpackers working in the sector at any one one point. That's across horticulture in general um, at any point in time. So having 12,000 seasonal workers would probably have an increased efficiency. You're probably looking at, um, you know, let's say the 12,000 workers are doing the job of 15,000 backpackers or something like yeah. that. Growers have been able to adjust it's been really, really hard. There's no doubt about it. The growers are, are certainly there's growers out there that are reducing their plantings and and not taking on the risk because they don't have the confidence that they can find the harvest labour that they need. But certainly across the board, I think guys have every business has been different. You know, seasonal wise, same as grains and everyone else. The seasonality wise across the east coast particularly has been unreal. You know, everyone's everyone's up and about. Yields are really good. Um, it's just about whether the grower's got a confidence enough to continue to plant, particularly with vegetables, to um, to keep getting their crop off. And unfortunately, it's really hard to hard to see. So we can re- we can rely on the anecdotal feedback that we get from growers, and a lot of growers are different, and, and their risk risk appetite, like any business, is very different. Um, whereas, you know, we largely we don't really know until we see it hit the market floor. To be honest, um, we just don't know what it's like because if they can't get the, the, the labour off when the exact point that they need to get the crop off, then, um, you know, the crop stays there in the ground and, and fluctuates the market pretty pretty significantly in a short space of time, like I said. So um, it's, 
it's a little bit hard to predict, but um, but growers have been doing it pretty tight for the last probably six six or so months, or even longer than that during the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely, it's very time sensitive, especially horticulture, fresh produce, getting it onto tables. For like, I was actually on Hack Triple Chase Hack program talking about more so the grain side of the industry because that's what I know and that's where I was coming from, and I was trying to drive people into these roles. So I had probably 300 people contact me and about 12 farmers came forward with jobs and I think half of them got filled and not sure about the others, just a communication or, or whatever. But for yourself, there was a bit of a um, point made on there about horticulture's pay. Like it's a huge topic to cover and not one that you fully cover, but I bet that you've had this brought up previously how is this something that we can tackle as an industry to help out the horticultural farmers that are setting the standard and really bringing up um, better better environment for our workers, whether they're backpackers or Australians or wherever? Yeah, yeah, it's right. Like it is um, – look, the reality is, is the horticulture industry has been plagued by stories of exploitation – excuse me, exploitation and mistreatment for – for years, right? Like that's um that's always been the the sticking point. And when you know when push comes to shove, when we are trying to entice domestic workers to come out and work on farms, that their their immediate thought process is, well, I'm not going out there to work for three bucks an hour and and all that stuff. And that's just the that's a natural thought process, right? Yeah. Because you've seen it in the papers. So, um, you know, the industry's come a long way. I think in terms of the first point, I'd say is. You know, there is a horticulture award that sets sets the rate. Um, that's absolutely, um, you know, you've, you've got a set, a set structure there and testing my memory now, but I think it's about 22, 23 bucks an hour for casual work. But I'll leave that with you to sort of follow up, but I can get you those figures. It's easily- 25, 41, I think it is per hour. There you go. There you yeah. go. So that's, that's about right. So, um, you know, there's, there's a set award rate that's there. Um, you know, anything below that is, is unacceptable. Um, in terms of workplace health and safety and ethical supply chain sourcing and all that sort of stuff, there's a lot of work that's going into that space at the moment. Industry, and I'll put the Ausveg hat on for a minute, um, you know, we've actively supported the program called Fair Farms, which is around, um, which is based up in Queensland, which is around um, educating growers about understanding their employee obligations. Um, and, cert- and certifying them. Um, that's been recognised by all the major supermarkets such as Coles, Woolies and, um, and Aldi in terms of being part of their ethical supply chain sourcing obligations under the Modern Slavery Act. Um, so I guess that's, that's a simple logo, if you like, or a simple um, certification that workers or employees can actually ask their employer and say, are you Fair Farm certified? Um, to help give them a little bit of confidence that they're going to a reasonable employer. Um, the other one is around, um, you know, the approved employer process. And we spoke about the seasonal worker program. You know, that is a really, um, given that it's a foreign aid program and it's run by government, that is a really tight, tight ship. You know, you have to demonstrate that you are a fit and proper business um, to be able to access the seasonal worker program. So 
you know, you can have confidence, even those workers that are coming in from overseas, that, um, that you know, those workers are going to be looked after and paid correctly and, and those sort of things. I think probably probably the outlier, and it's not widely used in, in vegetable, vegetables, but it is used, is the concerns around piece rates. So, you know, piece rate work is always the thing that um, that is potentially either misused or misrepresented or, or misunderstood, um, you know, probably all of the above are, are different options. Um, there is a, a case going forward at the moment that's through the Fair Work Commission, which um, which went through probably about two or three waiting for, for the results of. But, you know, the advice would be to any um, potential employees or employers around, you know, there needs to be a piece rate agreement in place. So it's really up to making sure that... Um, you're absolutely comfortable with what you're signing in terms of um, going to do some work. But uh, if they are looking for work, then uh, the Harvest Trail website is a, a, as good a spot as any, um, essentially, and that's kind of where we direct all our growers to to uh, to use that government website and, um, and list how many workers they're needing and for how long and those sort of things. And that's proven to be a, um, a pretty successful model so far. So um, if they're looking for it... Um, head out to Harvest Trail. I think it's just Harvest Trail into Google and it'll top one. Yeah, great stuff. I think that's pretty poignant that fair fair farms that are treating their workers with great standards. It's a good platform to base it off and get more farmers on board and give that um, clarification to those looking for work. If they don't know about the industry, it really just helps them out a bit more. Um, and also bolstering the industry into what horticulture really needs to be and how we can get those supply and demand levelling out. But, like, I've got so many questions running through my head at the moment just because I don't know the industry at all. But for farmers, something I like is value-adding and how we can improve what we use and what we throw out, how farmers are putting their waste to better use or new markets. There was a story a few years ago about a co-op of farmers, they were throwing away their ugly carrots and then the women, the wives of the blokes that own the farms, um, they actually put their heads together and made snacks, packaged snacks and put them into on the consumers and for the children for school and stuff. How's that all working out for Ozveg? Look, there's, um, yeah, look, I mean, it's not something that Ozveg directly are involved in, I suppose, but it's kind of, you know, like like anyone, um, they're looking for new and creative ways of, of trying to, you know, do more with their product, right? You know, we keep talking about, you know, reducing food waste and that's been a big discussion in broader agriculture for a long period of time. Um, the same with the sustainability conversation and those sort of things. I think um, growers and particularly even the next generation of growers that are coming through are certainly well aware and well in tune about not having wastage of product and finding new ways to make sure that they're making use it's like um you know it's similar to you know a, a sheep or um or cattle sort of carcass or, or anything like that you don't want any wastage it's no different in in terms of horticulture it's you know if there's a market for it they'll they'll find it and they'll sell it so um i think it's you know it, it's probably a couple of added added processes in terms of the vegetable industry just because you've got to start taking into the consideration around, you know, your packaging and your plastics and all those yep. sort of things. Um, 
there's certainly a, a broader conversation I know from a lot of our larger growers around um, how to um, minimise the the use of plastics and those sort of things and and reducing the use of plastics. Um, and that's, you know, a lot of that's going to come down to, to technology as well around, um, you know, there is a lot of use of plastics in terms of um, out in the vegetable fields and those sort of things as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of growers that are looking for new and creative ways to do stuff with their product um, and food waste is definitely high on the list. Yeah, absolutely. I see horticulture being pretty innovative bunch to see what they can do and how much they can get out of a piece of land. So horticulture is actually driving more per acre than probably any other industry. Is that that's pretty correct, isn't it? Yeah, mate. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, yeah, in terms of yield production and obviously things like protected cropping is is you know and vert- vertical integrated cropping as well is um. It's just going crazy. Um, you know, you look at in terms of a global context, um, you know, the Netherlands, um, you don't think of Netherlands as being um, a significant um, significant agriculture exporter, yet they are because of, you know, their, their vertical integration, particularly in horticulture space. So, um, you know, there's, there's plenty of excitement around bringing in European technologies into here and, you know, the protected cropping space and, and greenhouses and those sort of things is, um, is really going from strength to strength, to be honest, which is, um, which is pretty exciting for the sector. Absolutely. Europeans actually might need a bit of Australian technology in their place. I was living in London for a while and the fruit over here in Australia is definitely a lot fresher than what they get. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think, that's the, um, I think our ability is just probably... You know, we've got so much land mass we we can and we're probably we're in the early stages of export development in vegetables um you know we're, we're still a relative minor player in that space but we have come a long way in the last five years and um i think as we grow more and more markets as you said we, we grow, grow some pretty good product here we just got to get it off to off to market so um that's a pretty exciting growth area as well for the industry Absolutely. You don't need that much space to be able to get bulk produce off. So an exciting space to watch in the next five to 10 years for sure. Moving on into like ag tech that's used for farmers. Are they creating a lack, like reducing the need for pickers and packers? Um, over That's probably the, over the last 10 years though, isn't it? Not just because of the pandemic. Yeah, there's definitely... Um... Like there's, it depends on how you categorise farm tech, right? So, I mean, there's, um, you know, there's different machinery options and those sort of things um, that have definitely improved. Um, you, know, you know, you look at sort of the robotic picker and those sort of things, that's definitely on its way for and already exists in some industries. Like I know the nut industry uses different technology in that space. Um, that's definitely, definitely coming in terms of, you know, when you think about tech in terms of, IP or, or better connectivity and, and those sort of things and connecting workers with, with growers is probably no shortage of um, uh, opportunists, I suppose, during the pandemic to reach out to try and, you know, come up with a new app idea. And, you know, you think of like a, a job matching sort of app or, or something like that. And I think, you know, it's only a matter of time those sticks, um, particularly in the job matching and job sharing sort of space um but yeah i mean there's plenty of guys that are creative and keen to get involved in 
in horticulture because they do know that, you know, at any one stage we're, we're employing 30 to 40,000 um, seasonal workers throughout the country. So um, that's some pretty high users, I suppose, in terms of the tech space. In just That's in labour alone, let alone think about um, different tech advancements in terms of cold storage management, um, quality assurance management, all those sort of things as well. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You've got like so many areas. We as farmers, like grain or livestock farmers, sort of just worry about our paddocks, but you've got your cold storage, your processes, packaging, all that sort of technology to come into play. Uh, and you're probably full of new technologies popping up every now and then. And it's just about dissecting, same as livestock and broadacre, dissecting what works for that individual farmer and what can pay the dividends at the end, save you time or money in the end. Uh, and that's it. I think even particularly for your livestock listeners out there, I think, um, you know, in my mind, you always kind of picture it. Well, you know, we used to run a, a sheep property. It's kind of like as if you had a, a Whamco or a Fletcher's or, or something like that within your farm gate. Yeah. You know, if you can imagine that you didn't put it on a truck and, and send it to market and send it to the processor, you actually did that and you looked after that process, um, you know, and you employed, 100 odd 150 odd people right and and everything that goes with it you could imagine the added complexities um that are involved in that process and that's essentially what particularly our, our you know more established vegetable and, and horticulture producers do right they um they have all that pre-farm gate they package it up and it's literally in it by the time it's in the truck it's it's almost ready to go on the shelves so if not ready to go on the shelves so um you know, it's a, it's a pretty unique in that space. That's why a lot of our growers will say they're in agriculture, but there's definitely a difference between agriculture and horticulture. 100%. And But for those farmers being able to see their products all packaged up, ready to go, and it's still on their farm is a very cool thing to see. Definitely, definitely. And it's the same kind of thing, like, um, you know, again, comparisons with industry around different brand recognition and those sort of things, um, yep. you know, really important for growers. Um, you know, you'll see, I think it's Perfection Fresh, one of our major growers um, that has the, the, the deal with Qantas in terms of providing sort of snack packs um, on your Qantas flights and those sort of things, which that's obviously probably taken a bit of a hit during the, the pandemic, but things will ramp back up again. And, um, you know, it's those sort of recognition of those different brands, which, you know, happens a lot in terms of the um, red meat space as well, but it's certainly prevalent in um in horticulture and the veg vegetable sector as well. Yeah, I think that's a pretty like cool way to look at it, the collaborations that you can do. Um, even from McDonald's, their fries are a fruit pack. I don't know if that's you're doing further down the track before, but um, like, yeah, it's cool to get that recognition of maybe I was the supplier for McDonald's apples and that was me. I put my name on it. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Like, um, so our chairman, actually, Bill Bulmer, um, Bulmer Lettuce up in up in Gippsland, he uh, he actually provides all the the lettuce for um, for McDonald's. So it's um you know like it's interesting like, and they're pretty significant significant grower, but it's it's interesting connection, right? So um, and you know who knows maybe there's a sure a business can come together and link up with a uh, you know we look after potatoes as well, but there might be an opportunity where they can partner up with a with a, uh, a lamb business or lamb processor or a, or a cattle business and you've got a pre-made meal ready to go, but who knows? That's it. Who knows? Get out there and try it. But, mate, something that's probably 
been keeping you up late at night is the agricultural visa, what it's going to do for farmers and also what it's going to do for those looking for jobs in Australia or those travelling to Australia. Can you tell us a little bit about it um, before you go wrap this up? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, look, there's probably there's not a lot that we can say publicly at the moment. Like there's still a lot of information that we're working through. But, um, look, what, what we will say is, I mean, the reason that we're advocating for that for so long was around changing the dynamic of the agricultural workforce makeup, right, particularly in horticulture. You know, we have, as an industry, and I say we, we've built a really heavy reliance on programs and a workforce that hasn't been tailor-made for industry. So, you know, we've, we've developed a reliance on the backpacker workforce um, that, you know, is, is a make-do for a tourism visa. Um, you know, we've built a reliance on the 88 days that what is largely uh, an inefficient labour force for industry because, you know, they'd, they'd rather go out on a holiday and, and have a few drinks than, than work hard for 12 hours a day. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of a, we've built our model on, a, you know, and when you are employing a, a significant low-skilled workforce in terms of, um, you know, average business will be employing anywhere from 30 to 100, 100 workers. It's a significant um, cost in your production. So, you know, that's been a challenge. Um, same with the seasonal worker program. It is built as a, as a foreign aid program. It's not there to drive efficiencies in, in agriculture. So it's really exciting that we've got the ag visa across the line that we can actually now start to design something that can bring in an efficient, reliable, competent workforce for the sector um, and meet our needs directly. So, you know, when we talk to, and the reason it's really exciting for our, our guys is that, you know, again, just like in terms of the cost of production, you know, labor for workforce is 30, 40, 45% of their total costs. So it's really, really significant. It's, you know, up there with your sort of chemical and your fertiliser costs for the grain sector. It's, it's right up there. So obviously, like anything, any efficiencies that we can drive in that space are really, really good. Um, you know, we're still working through a lot of the detail. Um, not a lot we can say, but it is, it is starting to take some really positive shape. Um, there is, it's obviously going to be targeted towards the Asian countries in the first um, instance, but it will have the capacity to be expanded um and yeah we're we're really excited that it's across the line and um we can start working through the detail but we've still got a lot of work to do to be honest i bet you do but we're as an agricultural worker within ag we're all looking forward to seeing how it can work within australian agriculture and help out farmers right across australia not just in livestock broadacre or horticulture wherever it may be um so it's pretty exciting to see New innovations coming from technology, but also the policies that drive our industry to help them out the backbone. Yeah, that's right. No, I think it's uh, I think it's really good. There's obviously going to be some teething problems, like anything, when something new's coming in. But um, I think our core focus, really, as an industry body, is we want to give growers a, a suite of options. Right? We want to be if they want to they want to keep using backpackers, keep using if they want to use their stuff, seasonal worker program, keep using if they want to use ag visas or or, or employ domestic. Then um, you know they can they've got a few they've got a few different options to to work for their business, and I think that's really important. 
as our businesses continue to diversify and look for other options that they need to have um, different options at their disposal. So um, yeah, I'm really excited by it. Absolutely, farmers do love options. But mate, thanks for coming on the show. That was unreal little spiel about Australia's vegetable industry and horticulture as a whole. Uh, just to get a little update on that's pretty cool. So looking forward to working with you guys a little bit more to see how we can work and improve the outlook for farmers in horticulture. Thanks for listening in to this episode of the Harvest Series with Tyson Cattle from Ozveg. Thanks for coming on to the episode and sharing your experiences and giving us a bit of a taste of horticultural's harvest for 2021. If you did get something out of this episode, Please share it online, social media, and even in our email newsletter. Or give us a cheeky five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help us get a better yield and also to reach more Australian farmers out there so that we can improve the industry as a whole. But until then, next Friday, our last harvest episode coming out on Fridays. We'll see you then. Keep on farming. Thanks for listening to this episode. Because you listen right the way through, you might want to sign up for our Farmer's Mailbag. This is the Farmer's Only Newsletter where you get some special content delivered straight to your inbox. Make sure you subscribe at farmswise.com.au. See you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 